Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today we have easily one of the most inspirational and horrific near-death experiences I have ever had on the show. We have Anna Christina, whose husband tried to murder her, and the Holy Spirit saved her and brought her back. I warn you, this is not an episode for the lighthearted, but I promise you, it is one of the more inspirational conversations I've had on near-death experiences on this show. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Anna Christina. How are you doing, Anna? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on the show. As I was telling you before we came on, I've had many near-death experiencers on the show. Uh, you are a first for me, and we won't give it away just yet uh, on, on how your near-death experience is, is vastly different than many others that I've had on the show. But before we get into your near-death experience and what led up to it, what was your life like prior to your near-death experience? Um, prior to it, um, let me tell you, I was born in Alexandria, Egypt, migrated to Canada around seven years old. Um, and then my father took us back to Egypt when I started being 12, just for us to learn our, our culture in Egypt. There, I was having challenges with the language, the Arabic language. My education was English and French. So my father hired a tutor, uh, Sam, who we ended up falling in love. And uh, I went back to Canada, but we stayed connected. And about four or five years later, we wanted to get married and he proposed and my father said over my dead body. And even though he liked him, uh, Sam was Muslim and I'm a Coptic Christian. And in Egypt, that's frowned on. It's like, you just don't marry a Muslim. So I knew I had to move on with my life. Came to California around 24 years old, met and married Paul. Uh, Paul kind of courted me, swept me off my feet. We got married. It didn't take long to realize that he was a narcissist. But at that time, we, that language wasn't even in my vocabulary. We didn't have internet. We didn't understand narcissist um, characters. It was He was very selfish and critical and argumental about everything and broke my spirit and made it, um, it was always my fault. And just, um, and 
he always threatened if I tried to leave. He, like once he said in front of people, he would hire a sniper. If I would hire a divorce lawyer, he would hire a sniper uh, because um, he would lose his mind and no court will hold him accountable. So that was his logic. And I really believed he would do it. I believed he would snap and do it. Um, I did have two beautiful children from Paul, Colleen, and Andrew, but it took about 13 years to finally be able to get out and be feel safe and hired a no-nonsense lawyer, got me a restraining order, and Paul was out of my life. Um, then out of nowhere, Sam calls. We hadn't communicated for about 25 years. He calls uh, and... I end up meeting him in Egypt, thinking that my heart is guarded. I'm not looking for any relationship. I was born again at that time. I didn't want to um, remarry. But once we met, all guards went down and we fell in love again. And he was what I was looking for. I was very vulnerable at the time. Uh, Paul was very cold, just not a good marriage. And we ended up getting married. Um, It didn't matter at that time that he was Muslim and I was Christian because I saw the Christian, the Coptic one treated me really badly. So I thought God sent me this gentleman and uh, we got married, lived in California. I was the breadwinner because I was the chief financial officer. Sam didn't have the language. So uh, he was more of a stay home. I uh, I supported him. I supported his children in Egypt through medical and dental school. Um, and we lived a good life. It was just, you know, I think, let's say he was a brilliant sociopath. Um, <laughs> but people like envied me, friends would envy me about how he treated me like a princess and stuff like that. And um, I was working hard, coming home, not worrying, like letting him, trusting him with the finances, with the house, with everything. And then some red flags happened. And um, I started seeing my our account being depleted. My account was always NSF. Uh, I was making a lot of good money and we were living from paycheck to paycheck and just things were not adding up. So these red flags uh, caused me to start like reevaluating this and deciding that we need to divorce. Uh, And we finally uh, agreed on an amicable divorce that we filed in December 2008. And that was it up to that point. My dear, you've already gone through a lot uh, in that in that story so far. And uh, there seems to be a pattern in the men <laughs> that you were attracting somehow <laughs> universally. What was going yeah. on during yeah. that? I guess these were lessons we all have to, we all sometimes attract these kinds of people. I have uh, many people, you know, my parents, my grandparents, family members attract people that are there to teach us lessons, I guess. Is that a fair statement? 
yeah, yeah, I think it is fair. Um, I've learning about narcissism, they go after successful mm-hmm. partners, uh, like a trophy. And what they do is they they cannot come up to our level. So they break us down because of their insecurities to come to their level. And I had no idea that this was a character disorder at the time. It was, I thought, he's going to change. Let's pray to change. Went to all the priests, the bishops, everybody at church to help marriage counseling, everything. Because of the kids, I didn't want to divorce. It's not something we take lightly back then and also in our community. But he could never change. He, He was just who he is. Um, then the sociopath (laughs) comes in the picture. Again, they prey on vulnerable uh, women or men. And uh, I never knew what a sociopath is. I I really, these were not vocabulary words that I understood, but I learned later that they, like they're chameleons, they will be who you want them to be. Uh, and I remember when I met Sam, after all these years, he was just that perfect man that I've been waiting for. I don't remember that's who he was when I fell in love with him when I was a young kid. But all of a sudden, he was that kind listener, um, good looking, just gentleman. And the more brilliant they are, like they're a sociopath, but they have levels. And the brilliant ones are the ones that can last a long time. And we're fooled, we're blinded, we're fooled. Um, And you do learn lessons. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that they are out there to pray. Yes, you know? no question. So take us to the near-death experience. What happened, my dear? Okay. So it was December 2008 that we filed for the amicable divorce. And then he asked me that he wanted to stay in the house in our place for about three weeks until he finds another place. And I agreed. I didn't want to throw him out. Um, So about, it didn't take long after we filed that, that I started feeling sick. And um, my whole body was aching at a level that I, you know, I have fibromyalgia, but my body didn't. Uh, feel like this before. It was like a bus ran me over back and forth, back and forth. Like it wasn't just you wake up with it. Uh, The worst part was the headaches. I started getting these headaches that they didn't go away and they were so excruciating that just blinking would hurt. Just like I would try to stay, either just stay my eyes shut all day or try to keep it open. And 
I asked him to take me to urgent care and he wouldn't. It took like I was suffering with this for about a week and then finally he took me to urgent care. Urgent care, they didn't run any tests. They said, oh, you're probably coming down with the flu. Give me painkiller and sent me home. So the painkillers helped with the aches um, in my body. Then Sam started giving me his blood pressure medicine. Now, I didn't have blood pressure, but he started giving me that. And somehow the pressure in my head started going down and I was able to function again, aching, but not debil debilitated. So this was year end. I'm a chief financial officer. Uh, year end is the worst time to be away from work. And I was gone for about like two weeks or so. And then finally I said, I need to go in. I need to take care of things. Um, and January 8th, as I was driving to work that morning, um, I got a vision. As I'm driving, now, Alex, I never get visions. I'm not a person that gets visions. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing this vision, and in it, there's somebody dying in my immediate family. It's like, it's death, and I see my brother, my older brother. I see my two sisters. I don't see my younger brother, Steve. And Steve was born mentally handicapped. And he was actually the reason we came to Canada because we were seeking better healthcare for him. And I thought, this is a warning from God that something's going to happen to Steve and I need to go see him. And I remembered like a year ago, Alex, my mom was ill and she was calling for me, but I had a major project that I was in charge of at the company and I couldn't go. I kept delaying going until I finished the conversion. And the day I finished and it was a great project, I called up to tell it was her 80th birthday. And I called her up to tell her I just booked my ticket. And they told me she had gone into a coma that morning. And she never came out of that coma. So that was the biggest regret in my life, to put work before family. So when I got this vision of my brother, I didn't want to take a chance. I felt God is giving me a warning. And I went to the office, arranged everything so that I can leave. I told him I have to travel. I called Sam, told him my brother is ill and I need to go uh, to Egypt. He goes, okay. And I said, I'm, this was Friday. I told him I'm either going to leave Saturday or Sunday. I'll let him know. And I started my meetings with my subordinates, trying to organize things, trying to determine what I'm going to take with me and so forth. And as I'm meeting with everybody, uh, my head now is starting to hurt again. And I'm holding my head like this and my elbows on my desk and I'm holding it tight. So nobody like, I didn't want to show the pain, but somehow I felt a power telling me, leave everything, stop thinking now, go home. I, I don't know how I heard that. I don't know how that message came to me, but it was, 
stop thinking, go home. So I did just that. I told them, I need to go. I'm going to most likely come back tomorrow. I'll call you guys. It's Saturday. We'll reconvene. And But I need to go now. And I leave. And I drive to Irvine. And as I'm walking out and walking to my condominium, I hear this voice. Now, Alex, it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't an outside. It was a voice in my mind speaking to me like I'm speaking to you right now. And immediately, I recognized it was the Holy Spirit. I have no idea how I recognized it. I am not, um, I, I always connected with Jesus. You know, that was an easier connection with it. You know, God the Father. But I really never got the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand it. So I ignored his presence or I, I just didn't get him. You know, it was to me, all I can see, Holy Spirit, a dove flying, but no, no real concept of who he was. And he starts talking to me, but immediately he tells me to shut my mouth. Like I am not to reveal what is happening right now. So I continue walking up the stairs. Sam opens the door and asks me, are you leaving tomorrow or the day after? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I can't think right now. I'll let you know tomorrow. That was it. And then Colleen came up to greet me and went back to her room. And Sam said, okay, I'll, I'll prepare uh, dinner. He always cooked dinner. Okay, that was the good thing he did. He always had a homemade meal. Um, so I said, fine. I went and I changed, came out to the living area and the kitchen. And my plate was on the counter. He made me my favorite uh, Egyptian casserole. It's a French bean casserole with filet mignon and then rice. And I looked at my plate and I didn't have an appetite. So I said, I can't eat this. So I put back the bean casserole, but then I had the rice in my plate and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not even sure I can eat the rice now. I just have no appetite. And the Holy Spirit tells me, like I was standing there, the counter is in front of me and the refrigerator is behind me. And he goes, child, turn around and get plain yogurt and put it on your rice. And I'm going, come again? Like you care about the yogurt I put on my rice? It was such a trivial thing to do that it was, uh, it was hard for me to understand that he cared about that detail. And actually that was my favorite way to eat rice in Egypt. You put plain yogurt on rice. Um, so I, I told him, I said, you care about the yogurt on my rice? 
And he said, child, I'm in every little detail of your life. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And Alex, when I heard that, I felt like a fool to have missed out on that. I was 49 at the time and I missed out on him all that time. And here I'm discovering it now. I don't know what's happening. Why is he talking to me now? And it I just... I I just felt like a fool. And I took my plate and I sat on the couch and I started eating it. And he's talking to me, there's dialogue. And I remember he cracked a joke. Like he had such a beautiful sense (laughs) of humor. I don't remember the joke. I wish I remembered. But I started giggling. And uh, Sam was sitting there and he actually looked at me surprised. And he asked if I had had a drink before I came uh, home, like stopped at a bar. And I just looked at him and I didn't even want to respond and break the dialogue I had with the Holy Spirit. And and I ate my whole rice and the yogurt. And um, I said, good night. And I went to my bed. I kissed my daughter, good night. Excuse me. And I'm puzzled. I'm brushing my teeth, not understanding what's going on. Why is he talking to me? Uh, Just confused, but just went along with it. Got into bed and I'm lying there and just wondering what's going on. And he says, child, it's not your brother. It's you. Yes. I I don't think any one of us is ready to hear that. You know, like I went to bed assuming I'm going to wake up in the morning. We never went to bed thinking I that might be my last breath. And when he said that, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to die. All I could think about is my daughter is going to wake up in the morning and she's going to find her mother dead in bed. And that broke my heart. That was heavy. I, I, I just, it broke my heart to know that the pain, she's going to suffer. And I'm just not accepting it, but trying to trying to accept it. And then he goes, then he reminds me of a dream that I had several years ago where I dreamt of Jesus and it was Colleen, Andrew and myself. And we were walking with Jesus down this beautiful meadow and we were all holding his waist and we're all laughing. And he had uh, his arms around Colleen and Andrew. They Each of them were holding him from the waist. And he just had them. And I am with them. And I was always puzzled. I remember when I woke up that 
day from that dream, trying to understand how did the three of us walk down and are holding him and we didn't trip on each other's (laughs) feet. But that night, as he was reminding me of that dream, it was like, you're there, but I like I was going to be there in spirit, but he's got them. And when I remembered that dream and realized that he's got them, I was okay with letting go. Mm-hmm. I was okay. To, I, I said, okay, like they're in his care. Then I was fine with that. And I accepted the fact that it was me. And then he goes, child, you're going to go on a journey and you'll be back to be my ambassador. And as soon as he said that, it was like, oh, no, that's not a big deal. That I can do that. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds pleasant. It sounds it's pleasant. Not- <laughs> a journey. I like to travel. Why not? <laughs> I'll be back and I'll be the ambassador. And be honest with you, Alex, I don't share that with most people. The ego, I kind of got this grandeur and I picture myself with this big head. You know, the cones, that movie with the cones. And I, I was walking in Times Square and I knew it all. And I could only the ambassadors could see each other. It was just the crazy. Ego came, the ego <laughs> came into play. You're like, oh, I'm like, Jesus ambassador. Oh, I'm so, I'm so be amazing. Look at my, I know everything. I'm Jesus ambassador. Wow. And that's the most high God. So it's great. So I said, okay, well, I can do this. What do you want me to do? And he goes, child, I need you to stop thinking. I'm going, what? Stop thinking? Okay. I can do that. And I tried to stop thinking. But you'd be surprised how difficult it is to stop thinking. Mm-hmm. I kept trying to shut down my brain, but I kept wondering, did I stop thinking? Am I still thinking? What's going You know, like I kept tripping on my own thoughts and I felt like he's going to say, come on, stop thinking. Like, but he was so patient with me. And I finally got to that spot where I stopped thinking and And I laid there and he could tell that I stopped thinking. And he goes, okay, child, then I need you to shut your eyes. And no matter what happens, do not open them. I said, okay. He goes, no, no, no. No matter what happens, you are not to open them. And I said, okay. And I shut my eyes. And as soon as I shut my eyes, a bright light came into the room. Alex, it was a light that I've never seen before, but it felt, it wasn't just a light, it was a presence. And it was a presence I felt of God the Father. Now, I know I am nothing and why would, but but that's what it felt like. It was a higher power. And I kept my eyes shut And immediately the window to my right started shaking and it felt like an earthquake, but I think it was an earthquake just in my room, but the windows started um, shattering, like uh, moving. And then my heart started 
palpitating. And it started slowly. It was simple palpitation, but then it got uh, stronger and stronger. And it scared me. I, I, I got scared. And as soon as I got scared, the whole process shut down. My heart stopped palpitating. The window stopped shaking. The light turned off and the process stopped. And I'm going, shoot, I just screwed up my death. And, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, try this one. You can't screw up. I just need you to relax more. And I said, okay, okay, I can do this. And he goes, okay, I need you to stop thinking again. And he took me through the process. And I, I started it again, stopped thinking. He reminded me, do not open your eyes, shut your eyes. Do not open them no matter what. I obeyed. And as soon as I shut my eyes, the light came back. And I felt that same presence. The window started shaking again. My heart started palpitating. Then it got stronger and got stronger. And this time, because I knew the process, I didn't get scared. So I kept going through it, but it kept getting stronger. Like I thought this is how you die from a heart attack. Like my heart is just in, it's going to explode. But I didn't get scared. I didn't stop the process. And then my heart stopped uh, palpitating and I had tremendous peace. And then he said, okay, child, the next step is only an annoyance. I said, okay. He said, only an annoyance, child. Remember, only an annoyance. I said, okay. And immediately I started feeling like a whoosh of pain shooting on my legs. Like uh, I, I describe it like somebody took a sledgehammer and was breaking my bones. My, the pain was so hard, but he kept saying, remember child, it's an annoyance. It's an annoyance. And as I was concentrating on what he's saying, I was able to endure that pain. It wasn't as excruciating as it first felt. And it was okay. And he kept saying, it will pass, child. It's an annoyance. It will pass. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It was like passing and... Again, I'm not screaming. I'm not yelling. No one can hear what's happening outside. Um, I have fibromyalgia and I'm not feeling. I feel it, but it's you can endure it. It was his presence was so sweet, his coaching, that it didn't matter what was happening to my body. And then the pain stopped. And it was, again a great, peaceful few moments. And I could breathe again. And then I realized the pain was gone, but I couldn't feel anything. I, I couldn't feel 
my legs, I, could, I couldn't feel my body. Like from head to toe, I felt numb, like there was no feelings. And I'm trying to figure this out and I'm going, am I paralyzed? And he said, yes, child, you are. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And he goes, I'm sorry, child. I go, can I move my legs? And he goes, no, child. I said, can I move my toe? And he goes, no, child. I go, can I try? And he goes, try, child. And I, and I try, and of course, no movement. And as I am accepting this new reality, I hear Sam coming into the room and I'm thinking, okay, uh, he's gonna realize I'm paralyzed and he's gonna rush me to 911. But he didn't realize anything and he slept on his side of the bed. We had a two bedroom condominium. And even though we filed the divorce, we agreed each of us will sleep on their side because Colleen is in the second bedroom. Um, and he went to bed, didn't notice me. And I lie in bed, paralyzed, but the presence of the comforter at this point was so overwhelming that it didn't matter that I'm paralyzed anymore. Mm -hmm. I spent the best night of my life that night. I didn't sleep a wink. He was with me the whole night, downloading information in my mind, uh, teaching me things. He was the perfect teacher. He didn't go too fast, not too slow, just, he was just perfect. Uh, I saw visions, just, you know, one of the visions, just to tell you, I was like, I was taken into a daycare and I was this little child and, and it was like Jesus's hand taking me to this workshop daycare. And it was a big change from this grandeur thinking I know it all to this child that I was really a child in the spiritual world, you know, uh, but just visions of so many beautiful things all night. And I didn't want the night to end. It was just amazing. But in the middle of the night, I wanted to go to the bathroom and I forgot that I was paralyzed and then I couldn't get up. So I'm saying, uh, I need to go to the bathroom. And he goes, go child. And I'm going, just go. He goes, go child. And, and I remember wetting the bed and it was a lot of fluid coming from my body. I thought I was going to wake Sam up with all that water coming his way, but he didn't feel a thing. Um, and then around daybreak, I heard Sam get up and he went to the restroom and I thought, okay, he's going to notice me. But no, he went back to bed. And then I stayed there um, with the Holy Spirit, I, I believe another hour or so. And around eight o'clock, he got up. I could hear him turn next to me and he turned towards me and I could hear him uh, pushing on my back because I had my back to him 
And he goes, Anna, Anna, are you up? And I'm not responding. So I'm going, okay, he's going to realize something. And then so he rolls me over towards him. And now my back is on the bed. And he he's looking over me. And he opens one eye. And I could see him when he opens the eye. And then he lets go of one eyelid. And he opens the other eyelid. And I could see his face right in front of me. And then he lets it go. And then he pulls one of my arms. And then he drops it. So my arm drops. And then he carries the other arm and does the same thing and drop it. So my arm is falling. And, you know, it's easy to know that something's wrong with me. Uh, So he gets up, comes on my side of the bed. He open. I can hear him opening a drawer, gets medicine, and he puts a pill in my mouth. Now, because I'm paralyzed, my teeth are clenched. So you can't put anything in my mouth. So he took a pill and he was squeezing it, you know, between my teeth and it tasted like a Xanax. And I'm going, why is he giving me a Xanax in the morning? I'm already like limp. And then, oh, before he gave me the Xanax, he started taking off my jewelry my diamond ring, my gold. And I'm thinking, why is he doing, oh, maybe he doesn't want it to get lost in the hospital. That's so sweet. And then he put- <laughs> You're adorable. You are, I mean, you're so sweet. I'm so sorry, Adam. I hate to laugh, but this you're just so sweet. You're still haven't caught on to what's happening yet. Exactly. Oh I'm God. just giving him the benefit of the doubt. So he puts the Xanax and then after the Xanax, he gets a mint. And he puts cement in my mouth. And again, you can't put it in my teeth. He leaves it in there. And I'm thinking, my God, I must have real bad breath. He's putting mint in my mouth before he calls 911. And so I'm going, okay. And then he gets on top of the bed and starts stripping my clothes off. And I'm going, okay, he's going to put warm clothes on me because I wet my clothes, right? And he's gonna put warm clothes before he calls 911. And to my surprise, he gets up and starts raping me. Oh my God. And that's when um, like, there's no words to describe the feeling you get when you're raped and your limb, you're paralyzed, you're, you're helpless. And it, it felt like, to me, he felt like a dog. And I didn't understand it. Um, we never ever made love half asleep. Like it didn't make sense to me, not understanding what he's doing. Then he gets up, he, he leaves me naked in the middle of the bed and he goes and takes a shower. And I'm just confused. He comes back, and as he comes back, I could hear uh, the shower. It wasn't shower, I could hear like a stronger flow as if he was filling a bathtub now for me. Yeah. And he came around and he started pulling me off the bed to carry me. and I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna care. He's gonna give me a bath. Like 
it was, what, what's he doing? And as he pulled me off the bed, he dropped me and he couldn't carry me. So I fell to the floor, crumbled on my side and he lets go. And he goes, you're too heavy. I can't carry you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I'm thinking, thank God I'm fat. Like that was really the first time, seriously, I appreciated being chubby because I I really didn't know what is he trying to do with me. And as he dropped me and he, I could tell his puzzle because I could see he's still standing close by, not knowing what to do with me. Then Colleen wakes up. We could both hear her in the room. It's a Saturday morning. She turned on the TV. So he rushed to her uh, and left me there, closed the door, of course. And I don't think we had the lock on our bedroom door. So he wanted to make sure she doesn't come in. And I learned later, he told her, mom doesn't want to be disturbed. She took a few Xanaxes and she sat over her brother in Egypt and wants to sleep it off. So Colleen didn't think of coming in to check on me. And he got her cereal breakfast. And then he came back. During all that time he's doing this, the comforter never left me. So I'm in total peace. I'm a little bit confused about him, but I'm in total peace, paralyzed or not. It didn't matter just in peace with what's happening. And then suddenly I feel this ice water pouring all over my body. He, I don't know how much water he was pouring over me. And it was so cold. It put my body in shock and it felt like nails going into my body. I've never had that feeling before. I didn't realize ice cold water can do this to a body. Maybe when you're paralyzed, the body goes in. I really didn't understand the pain. Uh, It wasn't pain. It was like excruciating discomfort or torture, like, you know, like doing it. And the comforter is reminding me it's annoyance. It's an annoyance. And As soon as he said that, I saw a vision of Jesus's hand next to me, just his hand, and they were uh, hammering, piercing a nail in his hand. When I saw that vision with that nail going in his hand, my discomfort was nothing compared to his. I felt ashamed that I am complaining or not comfortable with what's happening to me compared to the pain he went through. So I was able to endure. It was like, okay, it's okay. I I was ashamed for even feeling the pain. And then it stopped. I think he ran out of water and I was at peace again. And it felt good just being left there. And I could hear him go, and then he came back. And again, he did the same thing. He poured ice water, and it was, I don't know what the heck he was doing, and he's pouring it slowly all over my body, like back and forth. 
and I'm feeling the same thing with the nails in my body. And then I see the same vision with Jesus's hand again. I'm reminded of that and I'm able to endure it. And the comforter is there coaching me, telling me it's an annoyance, child. It's an annoyance. And, and I'm able to endure it and I'm able to be at peace with it as it's happening. The presence of the comforter again was overwhelming. Um, and then it stopped again and, and it was okay. And I'm thinking, why, why isn't he calling 911? I'm still thinking, what's he doing? Just not understanding. And then he comes back. And this time, he bends down and he puts his fingers on my nose and he holds my nose shut. Now, because I'm paralyzed, my teeth are locked and I can't breathe from my mouth. So he's holding my nose shut and I can't breathe. And he's holding it, he's not letting go. And then suddenly a reflex happened and I went, <gasps> like my, my mouth just opened. And as soon as my mouth opened, he let go. He got startled and he ran out of the room. And this is when I remembered my million dollar life insurance. I had not canceled. When we filed the divorce, I didn't think of canceling the life insurance. He was a beneficiary of a half a million and my children got the other half. And this is when I remembered it and I'm going, okay, this is not gonna end well. Um, he comes back, he does the same thing again. He bends down, he holds my nose, he tries to hold it gently. And as long as he can, I stop breathing and suddenly my mouth opens up again and it's just a reflex. And um, he, he lets go and he runs out and he doesn't know what to do with me. And I'm lying there again, no anxiety, no stress, no fear. It didn't matter what he was doing. It was disappointing. But I was in so much peace with the Holy Spirit that none of that mattered. Mm -hmm. None of it. And he came back. And this time, he held my nose again. But he gently put his hands, like his remaining three fingers, on my mouth. So he held my nose, covered my mouth. And he was gentle. I remember he wasn't pushing. And at that point, my mouth couldn't open up. I couldn't breathe. And my lungs started collapsing. And I knew this was it. There was no way out of that one. It, I was done. And the pain of suffocating, it's hard, it's hard to describe that torture of not being able to breathe. But as I'm suffocating, 
I see Jesus's hand, but this time he's standing, but I only can see up to his knees. He had a robe on like uh, an off-white or something. And I could see only up to his knees, but his hand is stretched to me as if he's like uh, stretching his hand to take me over. Like I felt he was escorting me to the other side, escorting me. But, and as I'm collapsed, like my chest is collapsing, I can't breathe. I'm looking at him and I'm worried that he would um, stop the process. I, I didn't want him to lift Sam's hand. I wanted to go with him. At this point, I was ready to, to go with him and I didn't want him to leave. And I kept singing in my mind, saying, I'm never going to let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. I, I didn't want him to stop it. I was ready to go to the other side. Mm -hmm. And I did. And um, it was... Alex, it felt like a heavy coat it was just like you take off coat, you just look back, your body's down there, but you keep on going. And there isn't, you know, people fear death and they think it's darkness and there is no end and beginning. You know, like when you die, you don't know. You don't suddenly feel, okay, I'm dead now and it's dark. And no, you just keep on going. It's like your soul continues. And I continued and started see seeing this white clouds were covering the sky. They were beautiful white clouds and they opened up. And as they were opening up, I could see the blue sky, just beautiful blue sky opened up. And then I saw these big animals that I've never seen before fly. They were flying around the sky and they had the most beautiful colors, like amazing colors. You know what they remind me of? Uh, if you saw the movie Avatar, the first one, mm -hmm. it came out after, like it, it came out the end of 2009. And I remember when I saw that movie and I saw these birds that they were uh, flying with, right away I said, whoever did that movie must have had a near death or something because <laughs> their colors and the, they were so big. The colors were just beautiful. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then I saw myself standing or I, I, I can't see myself. I don't know. You know, you see through your eyes mm -hmm. and I saw this uh, greenery like meadows again, just a beautiful greenery. And towards the end, I could see they're preparing for a banquet. There's a banquet happening and I see a bride, but it's the back of her. I see somebody dressed in a bride and I want to go see who that is. And I'm thinking, is that me? Like, because in Christianity, it says when we die, we are the bride of Jesus, something like that. So I thought, is that me? I wanted to go and see who that was. 
And I tried going fast and I tried and, and I missed her. I, I didn't get to see who that is. But then I found myself coming to an enclosed area. It was a corridor and I started walking in a corridor. And as I'm walking to my right, I pass by a majestic chair that's on the side that's, and there's a lady sitting in there, but I couldn't tell who it was. It was um, a chair, it had a veil that covered the whole chair and her, like it was just all over. And I was trying to look to see who it was. I, I couldn't make out who it is. And I'm passing by her and then I see somebody, excuse me, and I ask, who, who is she? And he, he says, she's the purest of all. And I'm going, oh, okay. And I keep on going. And then I come to a door. And at that door, I see my mother. Mm-hmm. And she was, she had no features. She was a body of light. But immediately, I recognized it was my mother. Like, mm-hmm. we knew each other. You, you recognized that. And just seeing her there was like, just beautiful that she greeted me. And I walked in. I don't remember hugging her. You know, you, you don't hug. You just, you connect. And she took me in the hallway and we kept on walking. And then I saw my sister, Nadia. She was another body of light. And seeing Nadia in heaven was the most beautiful thing ever because Nadia had committed suicide when she was 35. Mm. And I always wondered where she was. You know, in, in religion, they teach you, if you commit suicide, it's an act of murder and you go to hell. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. She mm-hmm. was there. Um, she, she was there. She, when she committed suicide, it was deep depression she had. And we have a loving father up there. He doesn't judge us like the world judges. And seeing her was just, I was breathless. But she took me in a room. We left my mother out there. She took me to another room. And I'm walking with her. And I have this joy um, that started to overwhelm me. It was too much. It was just so much that I started complaining to her. And I'm going, Nadia, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to contain it. It's too much for me. It's too much. So like, how stupid could that be? You know, like I'm now complaining about overwhelming joy. I'm, I'm so <laughs> overwhelming sadness and stress. Now the joy is too much to handle. It was crazy. And I'm complaining to her because it was too much. And then she looked at me and she said, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. And I'm going, how can it even get better? Like it was something I couldn't mm-hmm. comprehend. It was, and 
I went out with her and we came to the hallway where mom was. And there my father was standing with my mom. And my father had been killed in a car accident when I was 22. And I don't know, like, you don't get over uh, losing somebody so suddenly to a tragic accident. And I remember I always relived his accident because it was a really bad accident, was head-on collision with an 18-wheeler. And I always relived his pain or his um his fear or sudden or whatever happened those last moments and it would torture me but seeing him there was just amazing and there I'm standing between my mom my dad my sister and we're communicating and we're not talking we're just communicating and then um not just says uh, hurry up you guys we have a banquet with Jesus and I'm going what say that again you guys are going with what it's just you're going with Jesus like it's so easy to go have a banquet with Jesus it was unreal to me it was so surreal that you know like and uh they started going but I didn't go with them I don't know why but it was not meant to be I ended up going to another room and as I walk into that room, at the end of it, I see a man. And now he's not a body of light. I can recognize his body. He was very old. He had white hair. And he didn't have much of it. And he was the late uh, Pope Carolus, I think the sixth. He was the Coptic Orthodox Pope who died in the 60s and was a very humble, sweet man, just, just a beautiful soul. And I, I recognize it was him. And he looks at me and he goes, where have you been, child? Where have you been? And I'm looking behind me, I'm going, uh, me? Well, you know, I felt like I was being scolded. Uh, I've been going to Calvary and I was talking like a little child because since I married the Muslim I left the Coptic church and we were going to Calvary and on the denomination so I'm telling him well I I've been going to Calvary and he goes why child why and I say uh I didn't find much compassion and acceptance, um, which makes sense because it was me, I did it. And he looked at me and he goes, what is your name, child? And I told him my Egyptian name. So Anna Marie, Anna Christina is my pen name, but I told him my Egyptian name. And he said, what does it mean, child? And my name means compassion in Egyptian. And he said, you're looking for it outside. You are what we need, child. There is no time. You are what we need. Hurry up, time. Hurry up, child. There is no time. And he kicked me out. And he was just pushing me out. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> it's like, okay. And 
he was kicking me out. And as I'm leaving, I walk back the same corridor and now the chair is empty. That same chair that I saw is empty, but the veil is on it. And then I'm asking, oh, what happened to her? Where did she go? And somebody tells me she's she's running an errand. And I'm going, boy, they have errands up in heaven. <laughs> it's like, it was so cute. So I said, okay. And I kept on going. And I was kind of like kicked out. But then I suddenly started seeing a face that was being revealed to me. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it was the face of Jesus. But he was revealing it really slowly. Like, you know, it was covering his revealing the eye and slowly just revealing the nose. And, and all I could see was the face. And as he's revealing it, I remember um, his nose was long. And I'm thinking, shame on me, like how I stereotype going Jewish, right? Just because I'm seeing that long nose and I'm embarrassed from what I'm saying in my mind. He must be Jewish. And <laughs> as he finishes the face, I'm looking at him and I'm in awe. But Alex, he did not look like the Jesus of Nazareth that I was used to see. He did not have blue eyes and fair skin. He looked more like um, a Middle Eastern Jewish, you know, olive skin, um, not not a pretty boy, like more of a a rugged face. Um, And as I'm seeing that, my brain, I'm thinking, he's not as handsome as I thought, but I'm thinking that and I'm trying to shut my thought process because I knew he can hear me or he can read me and I don't want to hurt his feelings. And I'm trying to stop thinking like it's just and then I left looking at him and suddenly I'm watching below the freeway I'm 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 seeing the freeway of uh in California we have like the five and the 405 I was right over the Y and I'm seeing the cars And the earth looked so dry compared to where I was, just night and day. And then suddenly I was in my bedroom and I could see Sam on the bed and somehow he got me next to him. He managed to carry my naked body next to him. And as soon, and he's holding, like, yeah, now he's sat over me, right? And as soon as I went in my body, I jumped up because I couldn't handle him touching me. And I'm standing in front of him naked. I didn't care. And I'm standing in front of him. And you see how your eyes rolled? I wish I had a camera for it. The look on his face was priceless. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. That was the end of it. 
And so what happened? <laughs> when you when you're saying like you stand up like he thinks you're dead. Right. And I'm there. And somehow I couldn't talk. I don't know why I didn't have a voice. But I was looking at him and I I didn't know whether I'm coming back to stay or it's just temporary. Like I thought maybe I'm coming back to scare the hell out of him. And <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> and just say good goodbye to Colleen. I really didn't know. And I'm naked and I'm a very conservative woman. Like yeah. I don't just know. And there was no caring of that. And I'm standing there and I'm giving him orders to leave the house. Like I'm telling him to get up. And I'm mad at him. And he's looking at me and he's like in astonishment. And I'm and then I started showing him that I saw everything he did. I'm telling him, like I'm acting it up because he thought I was unconscious, most likely, but I acted it up to him and I'm going. I'm crying and, and I, I went to the, the closet. I grabbed his clothes and I want to throw it out. And he's now getting upset. As I'm doing this, he's getting upset. And he's starting saying, okay, why don't you calm down? Why don't you calm down? Just come back. Just come back and calm down. Why don't you go? And, and I'm just angry. And of course, I'm not going to calm down at this point. And as he's getting angrier at me, now he knows I'm not just going to be a sweetheart and come calm down and go next to the murderer. Right. Um, he starts um, he starts threatening that he's gonna go to Colleen, my daughter. Right. And I'm going, and I'm again I can't speak, but I'm warning him, and I'm standing behind the door, you know, locking, blocking the door. Um, and I'm like daring him because this is my daughter now. Um, and he manages to push me out of the way. And he opens the door and storms in Colleen's room. Now, Colleen is sitting on her bed, watching TV, doing her homework. And as soon as he went to her room, I followed. I, I, and, but I didn't realize that Colleen could see me. Like, I didn't know am I in spirit still or anything. I wasn't thinking that I'm naked. And I ran behind him to protect her. And as soon as Colleen saw me naked there, she was like, mom, what's going on? You know, like, of course it scared her. And as soon as I realized she saw me, I ran back out and she's running behind me. And we went into the bedroom and I told her, close the door. And that's when I was able to speak out of, she heard me say, close the door quickly. And we closed the door. Yeah, there was a lock in the room because we, we locked the door. So there was a lock on the bedroom. She locked it. She brought me a robe, covered me. And he's now knocking at the door. And I told her, don't open, don't open. And she doesn't understand. She's never seen us fight. She's never seen anything. She, to her, like Sam worshipped her mom. No one could see that there's any quarrels or anything. And... She kept me safe for a while. Oops. 
but so much happened, Alex, after this, so much. Um, you know, the police was called. Nobody would believe me. There was, I wasn't paralyzed anymore. There were no signs of any attempted murder or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids couldn't believe. I kept saying he tried to kill me and nobody would believe it. And they're all, and he's crying there. She's having a nervous breakdown. She works so hard. She's a chief financial officer. You know, like mm-hmm. he's like this. And, and I look crazy at this point, you know, like my hair is all fuzzy. And uh, when more gray, when I visited the other side, I'm in a robe. I look like not what I look like now. And um, and the kids are not believing because they've never seen him harm me. The Excuse me. They bring the ambulance you know, to check me out because, and they said, they checked all my vital signs and I was as strong as a horse. I was strong. I came back really strong. I remember pulling, like, you know, when they test you and say, uh, pull on my fingers, you know, like I was going to pull my fingers. I usually can't hardly pull. I pulled him off. Uh, he was, uh, I pulled him up, like he, he ended up standing. And that's when he goes, this woman is as strong as a horse. And they didn't know what to do with me. And they wanted to leave me there. They didn't know what to do. And then, uh, and the police said, well, ma'am, we can take you to the hospital to run more tests. We, we, we can't do anything. And it's like, okay, take me to the hospital. Just, I need it, you know, to get out of, I, of I couldn't be left with him. And then it went downhill from there at the hospital. Um, I was there. I see him. He shows up at the hospital. Now he's outside my door. He's dressed in a suit with a scarf. He's the businessman. And I'm the crazy wife in there. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I... Uh, I told the so like a social worker came in the morning to ask me. They watched me all night. They wouldn't leave me alone. In the morning, a social worker comes and says, um, "Ma'am, do you know why you're here?" I say, "Yeah, my husband tried to kill me." Uh, so right away she calls the police. Two guys come. One is Persian. He goes talks to him, and the other one was this big man um um like with a very loud voice mm-hmm. and he walked in my room and i had fallen asleep by the time they came and he goes ma'am we need to question you ma'am and when he did that he startled me so i got scared and i said can you please lower your voice and he took offense to that mm-hmm. and he left and in the report, it says, I, oh God, what did the report, something about uh, harass the police officer or something. <laughs> <laughs> and before I know it, they put me on a gurney and take me to a mental hospital. Of course. And for observation, I think there's like a nine. 72, day, yeah. Yeah. Or 72 hours. It was actually, or a nine or a 10 day thing. And they took me there and 
they put me in the severe, like the lunatics, like the the critical. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. call it? There's in the mental hospital. There's this. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it was like the craziest area, and of course, everybody believed his story. And I'm in a mental hostel. My whole family doesn't know where I am. And then at the around the ninth or the eighth, there's a, a judge and a patient advocate that comes and kind of interviews to make sure you're not held against mm-hmm. your um, will. And uh, they're taking information from me. And uh, somehow he asked, how how much are you making on SSI? And I'm saying, well, I make twenty five hundred. Uh, he goes, twenty five hundred a month. I said, no, a week. He goes, ma'am, what do you do for SSI? He said, I'm a chief financial officer for Senior Snacks Incorporated. They thought that I am on Social Security SSI. And that I'm so delusional that I don't realize that I'm getting paid. I think I'm working for them. And so I am really a mental case. And when he realized that that was my net weekly and I'm a chief financial officer of a company that had the same (laughs) SSI, uh, they said, ma'am, it seems like there's a mistake here. And then the patient advocate goes, uh, but it says here, you said you were Jesus coming to save the world. And I'm going, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. And I would never. <laughs> I'm not him. I'm not him. <laughs> believe me, I'm not him. And there must have, she goes, they must have misconstrued your prayer. I said, they, they must have. And it was, they realized they made this big mistake and, and finally they let me go so and how did this so at the end did he, what happened did you get the divorce did he get in trouble what happened with with this the, the final the end the last chapter of this how did the this last go? chapter well i ended up losing my daughter because i was walking around the house naked so I so instead of going after him i spent the, the next few months trying to get my daughter back. And they they put me that I'm a mental case. She's a mental hospital. She's naked. She, I couldn't see her without supervision. Oh, good Lord. So I put all my effort on that. And they wouldn't believe that I was a victim. That I, you know. And finally, my lawyer said, go get uh, a forensic hair analysis. Because I wanted to know what happened to me. Did I have a heart attack? I, I did a scan. I did a head scan. I Why was I paralyzed? I was trying to find out what happened. And then when we did the forensic hair analysis, we found out that, uh, you want to know what we found yeah. out? Please. Okay. I'm, on, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on pins and needles. I mean, don't give me the technical terms. Tell me like, you know, something that everybody <laughs> okay. can understand. Okay, well, the letter came from the doctor. Okay, I'll read you the letter. Please go ahead. Okay, I've received lab reports which indicate indicate very high amounts of several heavy metals on her hair analysis, consistent with toxicity, possibly induced by poisoning. 
These abnormalities include the mercury level, which is 60 times the reporting limit, selenium, 69 times the limit, antimony, 49 times the limit, lead, 280 times the limit, bismuth, 40 times the limit, and most disturbing, barium, that's 2,750 times the limit. The symptoms she described, which were present at the same time of her psychiatric hospitalization in January and thought to be psychotic in nature, were consistent with toxicity due to barium or perhaps mercury. Oh, my God. So at least this report brought me my daughter back. But we found out what he did. And then... Once I brought my daughter back, I tried to pursue him. Once I got this lab report, Mm -hmm. I went to the police station, showed them my life insurance, showed them the lab report um, so that they can go and arrest him. Um, They said the detective will call me. Detective called me a few days later. Uh, She wanted to find out if I had a camera to video that he put the poison in my coffee. And I'm going, if I had a camera, I would not be. I wouldn't be here right now. (laughs) And she goes, well, ma'am, there's nothing we can do right now, but I suggest you journal so that if this ever happens again, there's a record. And I'm going, what? And she closed the case, which didn't make any sense to me. Until, Alex, I read in the Orange County Register on June 17th, that same year, look at what they the report. It said, if it's America's safest city, it must be Irvine. That was where the attempted murder was. This was the Irvine police. The article continued that Irvine in 2008 once again had the lowest number of crimes per capita in the country for any city with more than 100,000 people. They did not want to open an attempted murder case at that time. And not only that, the Orange County Register dated November 23rd, the same year, 2009, listed Mission Viejo, which is where the hospital was I was in, as the third safest safest city in the nation, and Irvine ranked fourth in the nation. So you wonder why she closed the case before she even opened it. I couldn't even get a restraining order on him. It was crazy. He got away with that. Wow, so he got away with it. Wow, but you got a divorce. But I... Got a divorce. Okay, Anna. This has been a wild, a wild ride for me. <laughs> and I'm sure for everybody listening. So I have a couple questions. Okay. Um, because we're so I mean, this is a true crime. It's a tur- this turned into a true crime podcast, uh, in many ways. Um wow. this is like a true true crime near-death experience. <clears throat> to go back into the near-death experience, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, after you came back, did you have any effects of the uh, of the near death experience? Did you have anything that you brought back with you as far as you know you're able to talk or or feelings or anything like that 
um, to the other side, just because you, you you seem to be wrapped up in earthly affairs and with good with good. So did you did anything come? You know, did you come back with anything better understanding on anything? Um, one thing that was very weird that I came back physically with, uh, and I don't talk about it much because it's hard to understand. When I came back and I was standing in front of him and uh, I was trying to, to kick him out and I was pacing back and forth. But when I was pacing back and forth, I was pacing in a way that was father was pacing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. To the point, I remember I was standing there and my father used to pace and he would put his hand behind his back and he's walking back and forth. And then he looks, he looked at him, but it was me. And I asked him, who am I? I remember that to say, who am I? And he looked at me and he called my father's name because he knew my father. And he recognized that this was my father that was walking back and forth through my body. So when you ask about did something come back physically, somehow I feel like my father came back to help me fight this demon uh, when I came back. That was a weird thing. But other stuff that came back to me, uh, I've been blessed with... uh, with the gift that happens to me in prayers, but I'm not allowed to talk about it, what exactly it is, but it's, it's, it's an amazing connection that I have. And, and I'm so thankful for having that because you know, some people will say, well, you were delusional. You were, you know, but having that until today, this is what, about 13 years later, every day, it's a confirmation of like, it's this special thing, but that he has given me and I'm, I'm really blessed to have that uh, gift with me. Um, so that's as far, like, I can't share exactly what it is. It's, that a personal, it's personal. It's personal. It's I personal. understand. I completely yeah. understand that. So let me ask you, why do you think you went through the near death experience specifically? Why don't you think you just, you know, passed? I mean, every, I mean, everything that you said would basically kill most people. So you went through this near-death experience. I'm curious your thoughts on why you went, if you had any idea about the actual near-death right. experience. Yes. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of people who get killed this way, and that's why I um, devoted the book to the souls who've been murdered by a loved one and their voices were never heard because there's so many mm-hmm. people get killed and they don't get a chance to talk about it. Um, Apparently, first having to go through it, that what happened, 
um, I believe God needed to shut my eyes so I can see what this man which was truly is. Mm-hmm. I was like addicted to this man. He mm-hmm. like he and he wanted me to get, you know, for me to see what he really is. I, there was no way I could have imagined that that's what this man. So he wanted me to see what this man is capable of and how wicked he is. But coming back after what I've encountered, it wasn't about what I saw on the other side. I I feel what I saw on the other side was like the cherry on top of, you know, it was just something sweet he gave me. The process of the death, my encounter, like I, I, I call it in my book, my sweet encounter with death. It was the encounter with death itself that was phenomenal. an amazing encounter, even under horrific circumstances. And I believe what God put in my heart is to share with parents who have lost a child to a horrific method of circumstances. And they relive their child's last hours or moments or the torture they went through. And they envision the pain and suffering and the fear and the anxiety and the loneliness, all of that, that makes a parent, it just, it can really shatter, not only shatter your mind, it shatters your brain, it just can haunt you the rest of your life that you weren't there for them. I want them to know that their child was not alone at all, because who am I to have had the comforter comfort me throughout this ordeal and he's not going to comfort a child or others like I'm not special but I just it it's a great message for them to know they were not alone they were not anxious they did not have fear they had tremendous peace it didn't matter what happened to their body it doesn't really matter it doesn't It's like you're feeling kind of it, but the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit, like I call him the spirit of death. Like a lot of people, uh, you know, they say the spirit of death is upon you. He is the spirit of death, but he's the spirit of light. He's the spirit of peace. And he takes us, and I remember he wasn't on the other side. He was only up to the point of my last breath. It was Jesus that escorted me to the other side. The Holy Spirit was here and stayed with, he was comforting me here. Mm. And to have that knowledge, like I, people, when they hear my story, they, they get so much comfort knowing that their child was not alone. So maybe that's why when he, when he said, I'll be back to be his ambassador, you know, we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of talk about Jesus and God, but we, we don't talk much about him. Um, and the fact that he told me he was in every detail of my life, to have that blessing, like I know a lot of people are going to, meet him on their deathbed he's going to reveal himself but it'd be too late Mm -hmm. 
I am so blessed to have that knowledge of his partnership with me. He's become my true soulmate. He's become mm-hmm. my best friend in everything, mm-hmm. in so many detail. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, Alex, I can't imagine my life without him. I mm-hmm. do not want to breathe one minute without him. Like yeah. the day, if God ever takes the Holy Spirit from me, I want him to take my breath away. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to handle life without his partnership. He's amazing. He, he's such a sweet, sweet being. He, he's just wow. he, he's, uh, he's a sweetheart. I'm sorry. I just love him. Well, just... And I, I truly appreciate you um, telling me the story and, and telling my audience the story because it is uh, a unique one to say the least in the archives of what I've been doing and, and, and speaking to wonderful souls like yourself, uh, trying to bring hope and comfort to the world. And I hope we do a small part in doing that with this conversation. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests, what is your definition of living a good life? Ah, that's a good question. Um, a definition of living a good life is impacting and loving others because you know Alex when it was when I heard that it was me and not my brother when he said it's you child what came to my mind it wasn't the money the work the status mm-hmm. it it wasn't if I lived enough but it was if I loved enough mm. It was all about your loved ones. It was all about, did I love them enough? Did I show them enough love? Did I love others enough? Did I impact other people's life in a positive way, in a good way? Just, that's what it's all about. It's not about anything else. Not all that stuff becomes so meaningless when you're dying. And <laughs> all the stress, all the, all the like, oh, the, my bills, I have to clean the bedroom. I got to, you know, take out the trash. Gone. gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. The it's, mink coats, the diamonds, the car. The person who, the, per, the person who tried to kill me. The, you, know, you know, the person who stole money from me. The person who cut me off in traffic. It's gone. It's gone. gone. And you feel really like a fool if you haven't uh, invested in loving and being kind, just being kind and forgiving, even forgiving. Like I, I forgive that man. I forgive Sam Mm -hmm. and I forgive him because he's not worth it to not forgive. He's not worth it to carry or to be bitter about it. He, I'm done with it. I, I lift him up to the Lord. Let God deal with him. I don't deal with that. Mm-hmm. Having bitterness and anguish and anger. No, no. It only hurts. Exactly. It only hurts you. It, it's not worth it. And, and there's people that say, but I can't forgive him. How do you forgive They're not worth it. Because at the end of the day, they moved on with their life. It's you that are burning and thinking and really, it's not worth it. It's not. So my next question is, if you had a chance to go back 
in time and speak to the little girl who was you, what would you, what advice would you give them? Besides stay away from that guy named Sam, (laughs) obviously, (laughs) besides that, there's going to be a guy, his name is Sam, run away. (laughs) You know what, Alec, that's an interesting question. Uh, Because I would not tell her to run. You know why? Because if it wasn't for him, I would not have experienced that beautiful blessing that I encountered. No, I would go through it again. I I am so grateful for all the screw-ups that I've done growing up. All the bad decisions and thinking I understood them. I, I, I screwed up a lot. I made bad decisions and I trusted a lot and I lost so much money. I worked hard. Actually, this week is my first, actually, today's my first day in retirement, finally. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. I'm going enough, but I worked hard all my life and I was taken advantage of because I trusted, but it's okay. It's okay because at the end, I encountered what I encountered, and that encounter is priceless. It's priceless to have encountered that and to come back and to live life knowing what I know, what I see, the compassion of God, the love. Mm. I I would tell her, do it over again. Just I'll meet you. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) How do you define God? Oh, wow. God is truly an endless love and compassion and sweetness and just anything good is God. Anything good that we know, he's just goodness. He's so sweet. He's, it's just, there's no words to describe He's just an awesome, loving, loving, loving God to all of us, all of us, every child, every mankind. It's not he loves Christians and doesn't love Muslims or Jews. No, he loves all mankind, every one of us. And he forgives. And a lot of us are screwed up. And there are a lot of people that are bad in this world, he'll give them chances. I think he will on their deathbed. I, he's not there to condemn us. Fair enough. He's there to love us. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? Wow. That's, you ask the deep questions, don't you? <laughs> this is not my first barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> to me, You know, we all go through life looking for purpose and wanting to find that purpose. And to me, I found my purpose is to be kind and loving and teach and grow and set a good example and help people grow, help people with their hardships, just be there. it's it's a journey that we're all on. And 
some of us choose the hard way because we listen to our mind and we uh, were stubborn and we want to do it on our own and others are wiser. It's all going to end up at the end, <laughs> you know, a certain way, but some is going to be easier than the other. Uh, we all have different journeys, different purposes. It's hard to say there's only one. Each one is used different. You know, each one of us is unique. Now, where can people find out more about you, your book, and the work that you're doing? Um, I have a website, anachristina.net. So if they go on there, they can find the book uh, and follow me or do something and they can contact me. I love to hear from them. Like this year is my first year that I'm speaking out now and, mm -hmm. uh, and reaching more people. And I love when I hear from my viewers, it's just, it's amazing. And I love to hear how my story impacts them. To me, that's so humbling um, to know that what I went through help somebody else in their trials that's that's just what it's all about so mm -hmm. and if they can't afford to buy the book reach out I'll, i try to tell my whole story there's more detail in the book of course but i try to tell it so people don't have to pay to buy the book but uh, they can reach me and thank you so much for this uh, do you have any parting question about parting messages for the audience don't wait till your deathbed to discover that you have a beautiful soulmate, a partner that is with you in every detail. Don't wait. Anna, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for telling this story. And I really do hope it uh, it brings comfort and, and support to people around the world. My dear, thank you so much. I appreciate your bravery and and thank you. Thank you, Alex, for having me. It was such a pleasure. God bless you. Okay. I want to thank Anna Christina for sharing her remarkable near-death experience with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 245. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.